Hello, everyone, and welcome to Keith Crosby Out of My Mind. This is podcast number 015, podcast 15, where we have a biblical conversation about the crazy world in which we live. Once again, we're starting a new season. This is the second episode of season three, The Christian Christ and the Culture. So join us over the next 20 to 30 minutes as we provide you a bird's eye view perspective of a complex cultural issue confronting you, the church, and where you live as we apply God's word to make sense of it all. And at the end of the podcast, we'll point you to additional resources for further study, just in case you'd like to dig a little bit deeper. And we're going to have a lot of resources this time. So in the meantime, let's get started. Good afternoon, Mark. Good afternoon again. Good afternoon, Keith. Well, I have to say, happy birthday. The day that we're recording this, uh, Mark has turned 33 years of age. So congratulations. Thank you. Okay. So this is our post-Thanksgiving podcast, podcast 15. The title is The New and Dominant World Religion. Yeah, Keith, let's talk about that. Uh, Moralistic therapeutic deism. That's a mouthful. What's that all about? You know, Mark, it's the perfect religion for our time. It's even got its own Wikipedia page. Remember last week we talked about Pope Francis and his approving of gay civil unions on the basis of a feel-good kind of sentiment. That was episode 14. You may remember the quote I read. Let me read it again. Pope Francis said this, Homosexuals have a right to be part of the family. They're children of God and have the right to a family. Nobody should be thrown out or be made to feel miserable about it. Now, that sounds nice, doesn't it? It sounds so nice, so kind, so reaffirming. The nice God, it's something all kinds of people can get behind. Love God, love people, treat people nice, do nice things. What could go wrong? But let's stop and think for a minute. Think about what he said. Think about all that goes into approving of a gay civil union, approving of sex outside of marriage, uh, approving of sex between people who are of the same sex or gender, which all brings us to moralistic therapeutic deism. It's a religion of nice-sounding beliefs. Now, what does moralistic therapeutic deism believe? It seems to have five core beliefs, and here they are. A God who exists, who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. A God who wants people to be nice, good, fair to each other, as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. The central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. He isn't personally involved in the everyday lives of people. Good people go to heaven when they die. Now, on the surface, moralistic therapeutic deism, which is a mouthful, doesn't sound all that bad, right? Producing happy moral people sounds like a worthy goal. The problem is, this isn't the kind of Christianity the Bible teaches. In fact, it's not Christian at all, although it's infected Christianity all over the world. Uh, it long ago infected Catholicism. It was 20 years ago that Pope John Paul said that all good people who don't know Christ go to heaven. I quote, Those who have chosen the way of the gospel beatitudes and live as poor in spirit, detached from material goods in order to raise up the lowly of the earth from the dust of their humiliation, will enter the kingdom of God. All the just people of the earth, including those who do not know Christ and his church. Well, that's tenet five, right? All good people go to heaven. That's tenet five of moralistic therapeutic deism. And there it is in Catholicism. So, Keith, moralistic therapeutic deism, did that start with the Catholic Church? 
um, looking at the comments from these popes that we've seen, it seems like that would be a pretty good starting place for this new world religion. The truth is, uh, it, it did not start with the Catholic Church at all. It's in the Catholic Church. It's in the Evangelical Christian Church. No moralistic therapeutic deism was first identified and distilled in largely evangelical youth groups and amongst their leaders in a 2005 study done by two sociologists. In 2005, Christian Smith and Melinda Lundquist-Denton released a book called Soul Searching, The Religious and Spiritual Lives of American Teenagers. And in the book, Smith and Denton coined the term moralistic therapeutic deism to describe what they call, in quote, the de facto dominant religion among teenagers, end quote. As those who completed this study of 3,000 teenagers, they found a religious worldview devoid of the details and hard truths of Christianity, but guided by feelings and a desire for emotional well-being. That's where the therapeutic aspect comes in, being happy and well-adjusted. The researchers described the system as being, quote, about providing the therapeutic benefits to its adherents, end quote, as opposed to being about things like repentance from sin, of living as a servant of a sovereign God, or a belief in a particular kind of God. The moralistic aspect has to do with being nice to people, not necessarily true to the Bible, like Francis's comments about gay civil unions and John Paul's comments about all nice people going to heaven. But once again, we cannot blame the Catholic Church for this. Okay, so moralistic, therapeutic, I get those, but where do we see the deism come into the equation? Isn't deism supposed to be the religion of an uninvolved God? Well, that's true. In classical deism, uh, God is the uninvolved watchmaker who winds things up and walks away. The classical deism is, uh, came from the 18th century Enlightenment, and the goal there was to tip one's hat to the existence of God and live like an atheist, treating him largely as irrelevant. In those days, people were still very religious, and so deism placated that need for a bait-and-switch that could take place later. Moralistic therapeutic deism gives us a convenience of God without the hassle of God. So you have a God who is there if and when you need him, but doesn't cramp your style or get in the way of things. One article I read describes the God as kind of a divine butler or maybe a therapist who helps when asked, called, or summoned. Uh, that's the therapeutic, and that's kind of the deist part. A God who made stuff but stays in the background until you need him or ring for him. Now remember, for 3,000 youth in this study and youth leaders, this was their dominant religious belief. It was the dominant religious belief among teens and young adults. Okay, so let's run through those five core beliefs again. So there's a God who exists, who created and ordered the world and watches over human life. There's a God that wants people to be good or nice to each other. The goal of life is to be happy, to feel good about oneself. God does not need to be particularly involved in a person's life, only when needed or summoned to solve a problem. Until then, God isn't personally involved in the everyday lives of the people. And fifth, all good people go to heaven when they die. It sounds like the ultimate aim is living a good and happy life. You know... I hate to put it this way, but that really sounds like a lot of the youth groups or a lot of the youth leaders that I hear or I talk to. You know, yeah, you know, if you look around and, you know, we've all done youth ministry, 
I'd say you're right. I'd say it's true of most of the youth groups in our country today, in our churches. You know, it used to be confined to the dead denominations, the mainline denominations who were involved in the social gospel. But now it's true of most youth groups and Sunday school classes in so-called evangelical churches. And unfortunately, I think it also describes a lot of Christian parenting these days. And if I had to assign blame, I don't know that I would blame the parents so much, but I would blame the churches. Because our emphasis has become, as churches, as ministries, and sometimes as parents, on raising good kids. And oddly, the whole moralistic part kind of fits into that. Some refer to moralistic therapeutic deism as a civil religion and a civilized religion because it really doesn't make too many distinctions, and it's almost secular, and it's definitely tolerant. And I think you can see how most governments, playing on the word civil, how most governments and most societies would go for this kind of religion. It fits into all kinds of cultures, secular and otherwise, and it really is the religion of human achievement. And sadly, when most teenagers say, I believe that there is a God and stuff, people are happy to hear this. But Al Mohler, in a wry sort of comment, observed, this hardly represents a profound theological commitment. You might feel glad to hear God talk from a teen in your youth group or a teen in your home, but the devil is in the detail. And what we have here in moralistic therapeutic deism is really a vanilla feel-good worldview more so than a religion. Be nice, don't make waves, and God and others will love you. And more and more with the increasing secularism and decreasing biblical literacy in our culture, in our churches, and around the world, uh, this is becoming the dominant world religion. And it's not just for teens. I mean, you can talk to millennials, you can talk to college students of all faiths on campus, and most feel this way. As one researcher noted, it's a hollowed-out version of Christianity. The language and therefore experience of moralistic therapeutic deism is devoid of things like the Trinity, holiness, sin, grace, justification, sanctification, church, and heaven and hell. Among most Christian teenagers in the United States, studies indicate that moralistic therapeutic deism has supplanted Christianity, and its language is the language of happiness, niceness, and an earned heavenly reward. Again, it becomes a works-based religion, a religion of human achievement. And that's why it gains wide acceptance, because human beings like this kind of stuff. Schools do, corporations do, governments do, and problematically, all of this seems to have started in largely evangelical circles. People, I guess well-intended people, dumbed down the gospel, they dumbed down Jesus, they dumbed down the Bible, they oversimplified things, and uh, this is what we ended up with. One of the shocking things I've read during the research is that during this research project, interviewers speaking with 3,000 teen subjects were astonished to learn that most of these young people, up until this survey, had never had, now get this, had never had a serious or in-depth conversation with an adult about theology and the contents of the Christian faith. The contents of the Christian faith. And the contents are everything. And I guess that's why so many people today, so many young people, don't value theology because of its specificity. The study of God. Theology is the study of God and and the study of God's Word. And some feel there's too much detail, not enough fun, And so the emphasis is on behaviorism, outward conformity, nice kids. And I'm sure you've seen this in your life, Mark, as a young person who's been through youth groups and to one extent or another in youth ministry. Yeah, you know, unfortunately, I I think we see this a lot in 
student ministries, in youth ministries. It's this idea of, and I'm glad you touched on this, this dumbing down of the gospel because we want these kids to like it. We want them to to really grab onto it. We want them to be in youth group and be part of youth group and all of those things. And and that's definitely what we want, especially as a youth pastor. You know, I want my students to enjoy coming to youth group, but I don't want them to enjoy it because it's fun and it helps them feel like they're good people. I want them to enjoy it because they understand what the Bible is is teaching, and when we open the Word, they understand what it's saying, and they understand that you know when the Bible commands us to meet together and to gather together into community, that they're fulfilling this command that's given to them by the Bible. And one of the things that really that I see a, a lot in youth and a lot of what's going on in these student ministries is I think parents, and I think you saw it in the Al Mohler quote, you know, parents are very happy that their kids talk about God but they talk about him loosely. They don't really have an understanding of exactly who he is. And and really, they're just like, yeah, there's a God. That's That seems right to me. But the reality is they don't even know anything about that God. And so they start to make up their own summations of who that God is, and they wind up with this moralistic God that's really just there to, to set the guide rails on society and kind of help everything to run smoothly and, and to be a good and accepting and loving society. And it really disheartens me because, you know, I would hope, and myself as a parent, like I want more for my child than to just go to youth group. And, and I want more for my child than to just enjoy going to youth group. I want them to enjoy the relationship that they have with Jesus Christ. And therefore, they enjoy going to youth group because they get to gather together with like-minded Christians that are their same age, which is such a rare thing to have now. And so I I think feeding into this whole idea of moralistic therapeutic deism, um, we, we go awry in so many different places, whether it's the church, but then also I think with some of the parents where I'm just so happy my kids go into youth group and that they like it, that they, those parents are, are kind of standing on the side and in hoping that they're going to stumble over the gospel at some point, as opposed to looking for a youth group that actually teaches the gospel and is very intentional about guiding these kids towards a spiritual relationship, an understanding, a deep understanding of who God is and what the gospel message is really all about. Well, I think that's, that's it. We want them to have a good time. We want them to want to come to youth group, but for the right reasons, and for the parents too, because too often churches and parents just want good kids, and they don't really want to see their kids as sinners who need the gospel. I would rather have saved sinners who are Christians than good kids who are outwardly conformed but not inwardly changed. And the, Because what's going to happen is those kids are going to go off to college, and they're going to have their outward religion gutted unless they have an inward relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, it gets back to our early podcast, uh, I think it was episode four, about when a loved one leads the faith. These kids who have outward conformity but no inward change, no inward relationship with Jesus Christ, they're going to go off and they're going to walk away from the faith many, many times, too many times. You know, it reminds me of uh, the parental, or not parental, But the adult version of moralistic therapeutic deism, a friend of mine used to make fun of that track, God has a wonderful plan for your life. You know, we've all seen that track, and I love tracks, and, and tracks are good. But his version was, God doesn't have a wonderful plan for your life unless you embrace Christ. And then he doesn't want you to be happy necessarily, but holy. And that's why I, I often say, and you've heard me say this before, 
It's not what's taught, but often what isn't taught that cripples a church. We leave stuff out that needs to be included. They need the whole gospel. They need the whole counsel of God's word. Yeah, that is really, I think, one of the biggest things that plagues youth groups and youth ministries and students. The One of the biggest ways that the church has disserviced these young adults and these, these young students is by leaving things out, not teaching this whole gospel, not giving them the whole counsel. You know, youth group is great. Food and fun, those are good things, and we want to do those, and we want to make sure that the students feel loved and cared for when they walk into our youth group. But at the same time, the most unloving thing I can do as a youth pastor is to not give them the gospel, is to, to dumb it down and to make it into something that, that fits their mold and makes things easier for them. It's, it's the worst thing I can do. And in one of us saying that uh, myself and our other student ministries pastor, Jesse, we often talk about is we're not really interested in graduating out nice kids. We want to graduate out saved kids. Amen. Saved kids are going to be nice kids because they understand what the gospel is. Saved kids are going to do all of those things that we hope that they're going to learn to do, but it's because the gospel has changed their life. It's not just because we taught them to be good, moral students and they walk out into the real world and they don't care about the gospel. They just think like, oh, well, we should be nice to everybody and we should just love everybody and everybody should just get along. We we cannot be interested in, from a student ministry's perspective, and I think as parents and as churches, we cannot be interested in teaching morals more than we are interested in teaching the gospel. The morals will follow. You know, in uh, uh, Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27, it talks about, I'll give, take away your heart of stone, give you a heart of flesh, cause you to walk according to my commandments, and you'll be careful to do all that I've instructed. Or 2 Corinthians 5, 17, new creations, old things have passed away, all things are becoming new. It's a changed person, and then the good works, the good fruit follows. I want to go back to one of the most frightening and confounding aspects of this study that we've just talked about a moment ago, and I think it's what you're alluding to here. The sociologists found that until these uh, young people uh, participated in this survey, they had never, ever had an in-depth theological discussion with an adult. You've got to wonder what was going on in their churches. What gospel did they hear? What gospel were they taught? They needed to be taught or, or need to be taught now that God came to earth to rescue them because he would rather save them than punish them in the fires of hell, the very real fires of hell eternally. And so he, Jesus, lived a perfect life so that in complete innocence, he could die in their place to take the punishment for their sin, their sin, because they weren't nice people to pay a debt they could not pay, to pay a debt he did not owe. He did this by dying and agonizing and humiliating death on the cross for them, because of them. And more than that, much more than that, Jesus rose from the dead, defeating sin, death, and hell forever. And so, Mark, we need to help young people, and I'm afraid not so young people, and the church to remember, to learn to understand that there is a world, there is an existence that they cannot see, and to help them understand that God doesn't necessarily want them to be happy. He wants them to be holy. He wants them to be useful to his kingdom work. He wants them to repent and put their faith in Christ. And so I think what we have to do here is to patiently and lovingly teach them that there's more to life than just the here and now, more to life than just Instagram, more to life than just sex, 
There's a far greater world that they cannot see and a far, far greater God that they can serve. Exactly. And so I guess to uh, borrow one of your phrases that you often use, uh, so what now, what next? How do we start to repair this as a church? How do we correct this? And I think you touched on it just a little bit there uh, just a second ago, but it's the effect on the young people, but it's also the effect on the not-so-young people. This is something Mm -hmm. that affects the whole church. And so how do we start to repair this? Well, I think a number of things. Number one, recognize that moralistic therapeutic deism, that is a mouthful, is a false teaching. And I believe it started in the garden with, did God really say? Implicit in it is that there's something better than the gospel. This thing, this MTD, moralistic therapeutic deism, it can't be saved. It cannot be tolerated in the church. And I think you have to look out for it when choosing a church. I think you have to find a Bible-teaching church and a Bible-teaching youth group with Bible-teaching Sunday schools and Bible-teaching small groups. It's almost like buyer beware. We need to do our homework when we look for a church home for the sake of our families. We talk a little bit about this in episode 8, Leave Your Church. We did that back in September where if you're in a church that isn't teaching the Bible, that the youth group is like a TED Talk with Bible verses. Nice doesn't cut it. The devil is in the details. You need to find a good church and recognize that anybody who is teaching this kind of moralistic therapeutic deism is not teaching the gospel and it's not a good church. Secondly, Yeah, I think we need to ask ourselves as parents and as leaders, as family members, am I fulfilling my role before God with my family and with those who have been loaned to me, if I'm a youth leader, by God for spiritual care? Leadership begins early. Gospel evangelism begins early, and it begins in the home. And so start early. Start with your babies and your toddlers. That's what I did. And I'm not perfect, and I'm not, I wasn't the most perfect dad, but, you know, God used me. It's a job that cannot be subcontracted. Proverbs opens with the fact that a child needs not to ignore his father's instruction or forsake his mother's teaching. We are, as parents, as family, to train up a child in the way that he should or she should go. That's a command. And so start early, start now. We're going to put some good material on the research, on the uh, resource page. Please visit that resource page. We're going to put the Children's Bible by Sally Lloyd-Jones. That's the daughter of Martin Lloyd-Jones. Ralph Gunderson's great book, Your Child's Profession of Faith. And let me just also say, get a translation. Get the same Bible for the whole family so you can, if your kids are young, you can go by page numbers. You're reading the same words. Make it easy, but start now, start early. Thirdly, as you look for a church, look beyond the statement of faith. I don't want to be crass, but statements of faith are like bathing suits, and these days they don't cover much. You need to kick the tires, listen to the youth teachers online, in person, talk to them, visit with them, have coffee with them, find out who they are, what they believe. And remember this, denominations can be good things, but they are largely meaningless today because churches are like people, and each church within every denomination has its own personality. There is no brand name that you can trust. You've got to evaluate churches on a church-by-church basis. And fourthly, it's like eating your vegetables or working out. Make yourself and your kids attend church. You should want to. You should want to be with God's people as one of God's children. But tempting as it is these days to become an online Christian or sit in my pajamas Christian and watch it on TV, don't do it. Remember, eternity is at stake. Get to church when you can. I know we're in COVID-19, but get there. It's good for them. 
I don't know of a believing parent who doesn't want to spend an eternity with Jesus and their children. So remember that being a nice kid, just like being a nice old person, doesn't cut it. We see that in John 3, where a nice old person named Nicodemus, a religious man, came to Jesus. And what did Jesus say to him? Unless you are born again, you will not see the kingdom of heaven, and therapeutic moralistic deism will not get you born again. I want to talk to some parents, too, who wrestle with getting their kids to church. I had a parent tell me once, I don't want to force them to go to church. And I had to ask the question, if you were on the Titanic and it was sinking, would you force them into a lifeboat? And they said, well, of course. And my answer was, well, this world is sinking and you need to force your kids into church and let God do what God does. You pay the bills. You're the parent. You call the shots. Make them come to church. Fifthly, Every parent should be a homeschooler. You need to school your children well in the gospel and what you believe because the public school system, particularly here in California and elsewhere, is teaching against you K through 12th grade, and then there's college and university. Christian private schools, too. You know, you, you just can't bring them to youth group and say, fix my kid. We cannot build on a foundation that you haven't built. And, and so, you know, you want your children to be part of a Christian community. That's what we talked a little bit about in podcast 13, What Now, What Next. Last and not least, number six, uh, you may have done everything wrong up until now, but you know what? Don't give up. There's always hope. It's never too late to equip yourself so that you can equip others inside and outside your home and family, inside and outside your circle of friends. Hey, Mark, anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I would just echo that sixth point, and it's a, a point that I often bring up to as I'm talking with parents, and they're struggling with, you know, my child just doesn't doesn't seem interested. They don't want to engage, and anytime I try to talk about spiritual things, they want to push away, and they, they just don't want to be involved, and I really want them to like it, and so I just don't know what to do. And my advice to them is is always that same idea. Don't give up. Do not stop pushing. Your child is going to push back. That's part of growing up is trying to find the boundaries of independence and those things. And and as a parent, as a youth leader, as a youth pastor, as anybody who's dealing with um, young students, and really, I mean, even for those parents with adults um, as children, and don't give up trying to teach your kid spiritual things, your child spiritual things. Um, you know, in the Shema in Deuteronomy, it talks about that we should teach our, our children as we as we sit up, as we lie down, as we go by the way. It's this constant idea of teaching our children this law, this this word of God, and just don't give that up. There's this is the single most important thing for your child to understand and to know is the gospel, and we cannot, cannot accept defeat when it comes to giving our kids, giving our children, giving our friends, giving our coworkers the gospel. That's just one area that we cannot wave the surrender flag. And know that it doesn't depend on us, ultimately. It's it's the work of the Holy Spirit, but our job is to continue to teach truth, to continue to give truth, um, and continue to push towards that truth. And so we can't give up in that. You know, I'm reminded what it says, one plants, one waters, one harvest, but it's God who yields the increase. Our job is to plant seeds. I had a father asked one time, well, I'm just no good at this. What do I do? I said, you know what you do? Do this. Open the book of the Psalms, find a bunch of short Psalms, read them, and ask you and your kids or your wife and your children, whatever, to come up with a title that describes each Psalm. And that way, 
you'll get better at it. Practice makes perfect. But you, like you said, don't give up hope. Stay at it. Plant seeds. Abide in Christ. Keep his word and let God do the heavy lifting. Okay. I think that's it for today. If you'd like further resources from this podcast, visit us online at www.gracetoliveradio.org and click the podcast resource button. If you'd like to ask me a question, email me at keith at hillside.org. I'd love to hear from you, and I try to answer emails within 24 hours. I'll be on vacation when this podcast comes out, so be patient. Also, if you want to learn more about Hillside Church, if you're looking for a Bible teaching church, visit us at www.hillside.org. If you want to watch our worship online during this COVID-19 time, www.hillside.org forward slash services. Now, our outdoor services are at 1045 a.m. and 12.15 p.m. on Sundays in English, 2 p.m. in Spanish. Now, before we go, if you're listening on one of the podcast platforms, like us, endorse us, give us a five-star rating, Uh, email us to all your friends. We want to reach more and more people, and we are so thankful because because of you, our listeners, we have broken the barrier of a 1,000 downloads a month. And so this is a new podcast. We've been at it for just a few months, but you're making it successful. We need your help in making it even more successful. Well, we release this podcast on Wednesday, so we hope you'll join us next time. This is Keith Crosby with Mark Stickler, Out of My Mind. God bless you and keep you, and we hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Next time.